Ian Mendes from TSN 1200. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Yeah, what up? It's your boy, Adam Melnick. Third Line Plug Sensecast. I heard your 100th episode, and you guys were calling me out. Well, here I am. Yeah, that's right. I'm Eugene's nephew. I used to live in Guelph. Now I'm living in St. Catharines. You guys got a problem with that? Listen, I know that everyone's been upset about how the team's been going this year. Things haven't been going the best. We're not tanking like we should. Listen, all I know is that my uncle's got some great plans for the next little bit. Because we're in a rebuilding year now, and I know that things can only go up from here. And, uh... Oh, hold on, that's my phone. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, hello. Yo, hi, Adam. It's Eugene. Oh, hi, hi, Uncle Eugene. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I don't know what you're gonna do. What's that? I, 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 I put everything on black. Okay, uh, slow, slow down. Stop I crying. Stop crying. I lost the team. You're. I, I put everything on black. You're at the Falls View Casino. You. I lost the team. You put the, the entire team. team on black. Oh God. Okay, I gotta let you go. All right, guys. You'll hear from me soon. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? Uh, it's going pretty good. I kind of miss the sun, I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah? Has it been cloudy and snowy there in Calgary this week? No, it's just daylight savings time. Well, did and you... winter. I was going to say, did you hear about this? Um, I don't know if it does in Alberta, but apparently the BC government, they want to instill a new law that just gets rid of the daylight savings time honestly more power to them uh, saskatchewan's already done it so they're just permanently on uh summertime so yeah go for it i have honestly got no opinion on the matter it's just all right i mean you know there's so many other things that you could probably instill laws for but you know okay apparently this is the flavor of the week now yeah, i mean saskatchewan seems pretty happy with it and screwing with your clocks is a pain in the ass. Honestly, I don't even have the analog clocks, so for me it doesn't even really matter. Because my phone, like the clock on my phone automatically like switches over, so it's not that big of a deal, and so do my laptops. Mm-hmm. Well, my thing is just, it fucks with my sleep schedule more, mostly. And that's what's kind of annoying. Yeah, I guess if you're working a regular 9-to-5 job, it's kind of a piss-off. But, yeah, but then you got, like, myself, who doesn't work those kinds of hours. It doesn't really bother me in the end. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think it bothered me too much as a student, either. No, because you were also getting only a couple of hours of sleep at night anyway, yeah. with all your <laughs> studying or, or partying, you know, which, whichever. No yeah, comment. Yeah. Got a lot of stuff to cover this episode, though. We do, and let's get right into this, Tim. So today's episode is season three, episode five, in chronological order, episode fifty-nine, the Alex Formerton episode. Now, Alex Formerton's an interesting player when talking about the recent Senators because 
for myself, Alex Formanton was a guy last season that a lot of people on Sense Twitter was pumping up heading into the preseason because he looked really good. And then once the season got started, he really didn't get his game going. And the one player that I think most about when I think of Alex Formanton is what Sense Twitter was doing with Drake Batherson this offseason. Yeah, and I think, I guess it's always hard with rookies, but I think the difference between, I haven't seen how Formanton's been playing, but uh, the difference between them is Batherson has been dynamite back in the A, so I think Batherson will be up soon. Yeah, Formanton's hard because I think at this point it's the hands aren't keeping up with the feet, and I think that comes with time. Yeah, kind of like what Ryan Dezingle was up until 16-17 season. Yeah, even into the 17-18 season, you could argue. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So a little backstory about Alex Formanton. He was drafted 47th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2017. He has only played 10 games, but he has one goal to shore for it. That's actually pretty decent production for someone who's uh, mostly been OHL age. So uh, I, I still expect good things from Formanton because the feet's there. The, the rest just needs work. So, Tim, let's talk about next week's poll, because next week's episode is Season 3, Episode 6, in chronological order, Episode 60. Now, there's one difference in this poll than the previous weeks, is that we have a player that we're number 60. However, there's a very good chance he could be our cover athlete for Season 3, Episode 7, in chronological order, Episode 61. But... I figured that this would be a very interesting opportunity to change some stuff up for the poll. And one thing that I put up on Twitter earlier this summer is I brought up this episode and I let the people on, tw uh, on Twitter, I let them choose. And I had a few options. I says, do we go for Sens media personnel? Do we go with people we've interviewed? Or do we go rappers and Sens jerseys? And rappers and Sens jerseys came out number one out of all of them. What I'm more amazed at is that you even had that as an option to go with. I know, but you know what? I honestly thought, I was like, you know, there's a few of them out there that has has worn the gear and there is photos of that. And I thought it'd be a very kind of cool and very interesting thing to talk about for next week's episode. So the two hip-hop artists that we got on the board is the dog father himself, Snoop Dogg, and Mr. Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls. But he's mostly known as Notorious B.I.G. So one thing is, like, at least with Snoop, he interacts with the NHL a lot. I don't really know if Biggie's done more than just wear a Sens jersey. True, but also he's been dead since 1997, so he really couldn't have done anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, I, I quickly want to bring up Notorious B.I.G. because I don't know if you ever saw that thing on Netflix. It was like a... It was like a 10-episode kind of mini-series where they looked into the unsolved murders of Tupac Shakur and Notorious B.A.G. It was pretty it good. Was just, it was it pretty was good. No, it wasn't a rap feud. And actually, they did, however, find it. I can't remember if it was... I, I want to say Tupac? It was either Tupac or Notorious B.A.G. They actually did find out who killed him in the end. Huh. Yeah. So... That's kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. Actually, I might have to go back and rewatch it. I was thinking about that. Uh, today when I was looking at the poll. So, now that we've got that all out of the way, Tim, let's talk about our week because, you know, it's actually been an alright week. You know, we just passed our 100th episode and there's been, you know, just kind of coming down from that. So, let's talk a little bit about the week. What have you been up to outside of work, Tim? Honestly, not too much. Uh, most of it is just been getting uh, 
money and legal groundwork down because Chelsea and I are probably going to buy a house soon. Oh, awesome. Do you guys have an idea of where you're looking at buying a house in Calgary? Uh, mostly near a train line, but other than that, yeah, we'll see what we find, see what we like, see if we like a neighborhood. Uh, we just won't live in the Northeast. <laughs> What's wrong with the Northeast? Uh, see, Tim, this, I was going to say, this is this would be perfect if we had the cricket sound effect for the gap of time here on my end. Honestly, put it in a post because want to outright say it's a bad neighborhood. It's a rough neighborhood. It's a rough neighborhood. That, that's a good point, Tim. I mean, honestly, you know, not all parts of Calgary is like Kensington. It's true. Yeah, I, I can't really honestly say too much about this week for me. Honestly, it was it was kind of a nice change to not be up to like 1230 in the morning watching hockey. And the one thing that I'm actually, I'm a little disappointed I didn't really get a chance to do is uh, I did get a chance to play Red Dead Redemption over the week because it's been pretty busy at work. We've done a lot of like, the parent-teacher interviews because it's midterms now. So I've been staying until whatever time at night doing that stuff. And by the time I get home, I just, I'm just ready to crash. Yeah, the long days are the worst. I've been working a bit longer lately myself, but uh, nothing too bad, honestly. So actually, Chelsea and I have been having time to actually sit down and play games. So uh, we've been playing a decent amount of uh, Master Chief Collection again. Okay, now I remember you were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. And I think the reason why you were playing is because your Xbox bricked out on you, isn't it? No, uh, we just, well, we finally got around to playing the damn thing. Yeah, no, but the story of me having the magical journey of my Xbox is kind of separate. It's just... We felt like playing Halo, so we did it. That was mostly just dumb game modes. Okay. Mm. Fun stuff, though. Nice. You know what's actually kind of funny is that, you know, of all the years that I actually owned, you know, like I actually owned Xboxes and stuff, I never once played... Sorry. In, uh, in all the time I ever owned an Xbox, like, I never once owned Halo. Oh, they're fun games. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny. It is because of Halo is why I went back to being a Sony guy. And I'll explain why. Because at one time, I had an Xbox 360. And it was just one of these things where I'm like, you know, I've had an Xbox 360 for so long. I've never really sat down to play Halo. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go out. And I saw that they had like a collection of the first three games. So I went out and I bought it. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be fantastic. The one thing about that is... I've owned a number of Xbox 360s that all died on me. Yep. So I put the disc in. I pressed the little thingy that puts the tray back. It did not work. And I got so mad. I was like, you know what? Fuck this console. Fuck this company. I ripped the cords out of the Xbox and threw it down. I was like, nope. That's it. I'm going to go buy a fucking PlayStation. I'm so sick of this shit. And it just happened to be like the next week, my brother messaged me. He was like, hey, you know, like... PS3s are going on sale for like 300 bucks in Walmart. And I was like, sold. And I actually bought it, and it had the first three Uncharted games, too. Oh, okay, yeah. Because I know, uh, yeah, back in high school, I put way, way more time into the Xbox than I really should have. And uh, I think in that three-year span, three of them died. They got warranty replaced each time. But it was still like... Although, uh, I've had the Elite one, the smaller black one, mm -hmm. 
and that one survived the last nine years. I didn't. I obviously haven't put anywhere near as much time into it as the previous ones, but it's lived. It's moved. Yeah, and that's all you can ask, right? Because honestly, like like I said, I've owned probably three three sixties in my life, and they all died to me. And then I went out yeah. and I bought a PS three. That thing lasted me right up until I sold it and bought my PS four. Yeah, I know. I know Chelsea's original PS3, like the PS3 Fat, finally gave up the ghost a few years back. Oh, she tells me it doesn't it doesn't work on uh, the Blu-ray games, but I think it works on the PS2 games. But yeah, it's uh, they worked out pretty well. It was just that weird red red ring of death era that the 360s had, which was just a pain in the butt. Oh, it totally was. It totally was. So, Tim, let's switch gears here. Let's talk about last week's episode because we missed a huge milestone last week with our 100th episode. Now, in saying that, like, what, do you, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the episode, but overall, from a recording standpoint, how did you feel that episode turned out for yourself? You know, I felt we were pretty on point that episode. Like, I think it was probably one of the better top of the hours we had in a while. Uh, got pretty good talk. We didn't have that many games to cover, but I think we got good stuff out of them. Mm-hmm. And even talking about the Jesse Pugliarvi trade rumors to Ottawa, I think really helped with that one sense story we had to talk about. Yeah. I think it was a pretty darn good episode overall. Uh, we got to talk about the metronome for peak fan engagement. I know. I love <laughs> the fact that... And I'm totally sorry if I'm forgetting his Twitter handle right now, but yeah, as soon as the episode went up and I saw that, I was like, Oh, I was so waiting for him to comment. <laughs> well, it's good to know people are listening. And uh, honestly, probably one of the best parts of doing this. For sure. And that's what I said even the episode, is that, believe me, their comments have been heard, they've been read, and absolutely, it's so, it's really rewarding for all the hours that we put into doing this podcast every week. The fact that people not only put us in their listening lineup, but like the episode and like what we do is 100% worth it every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, and it's it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, and even the people who actually commented on the episode, like Sens DJ Alex Marchant and the guys from MSS, like stuff like that is so cool that they saw that and they appreciated that we took the time to ask them, they came on, and we're acknowledging them in those last 100 episodes. Yeah, and to the 55 folk that listen via SoundCloud, thanks to all of you, too. So, Tim, with that being said, I guess the only way we should go about this is by segueing into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, thankfully, last week, Tim, we didn't have to talk about a death. Unfortunately, this week, we got to talk about a death. And this is actually a very big-time death given the body of work that he left in his life. Former Toronto Maple Leafs GM and NHL executive Jim Gregory passed away at age 83. Gregory joined the Leafs in 1959, working his way up to GM in 1969 following the firing of Punch Imlach. During his 10 seasons of GM, Gregory drafted such players as Daryl Sittler, Laddie McDonald, Tiger Williams, and Mike Bollinger, as well as being one of the first managers to turn to Europe for a source of NHL talent such as Boring Solming. After being fired in 1979, he would go on to become director of NHL Central Scouting Service, where he would retain until he became Executive Director of Hockey Operations for the NHL in 1986. He was also named Chairman of the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee in 1998 and would later be inducted himself in 2007 as a builder 
while on hiatus from the selection community due to ill health. Wow, holy crap, I know. And even me trying to find the wind and sustaining that, I was like, oh, sweet Jesus, am I going to be able to do it? Yes, he did. But yeah, it's funny. And this is one of the, even though it is sad that this gentleman died, the one thing that I always find very fascinating when doing Top of the Hour and talking about these people's lives is that you get to learn and you get to really appreciate what into definitely the original six teams. Like last season, we were talking about Ted Lindsay, what he did for the alumni and the fact that they now have a union. And this gentleman, for what he did in the, for the Toronto Police in the late 60s, early 70s, the only thing is he didn't win a Stanley Cup. And I think if he had won a cup with the Leafs, more people would see what a great general manager he ultimately was. Yeah, and I guess that's the hard thing about that era is there's just other teams floating around. I think that was like, yeah, your Broad Street Bullies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just definitely a lot harder than, oh, hey, there'd be six teams. Yeah, and that's ultimately a thing, right? And definitely when talking about people like this, and I've always been very fascinated of the histories of the original six, regardless if I like the teams or not. Like, I hate the Leafs and I despise the Habs, but I'm very interested as a hockey fan of learning their history and learning about the just sort of the behind the scenes with those teams as well in their history yeah because it's when you look at like league structure like working your up to gm is just something that doesn't it seems kind of rare these days so just seeing how even like a dynamic like that works Mm -hmm, because a lot of people yeah exactly a lot of people like this like they don't just the way that some of these people work up is that they go from being a player into management. They look at Joe Sackick or Steve Eisenman or Trevor Linden. Like you look at these guys who were ex players who later went into management and actually turned out to be pretty good. Like you look at Stevie, why, what he was able to do with the Tampa Bay lightning. Hmm. And it's like, you don't just see a guy like guys like GMs like Dubas that get hired on and then work up are pretty rare. So it's, it's just such a different league. Now let's go into our next story, and this was actually a huge bombshell story that hit the NHL and the league itself. Pittsburgh Penguins forward Evgeny Malkin is facing some jail time in Russia after one of his business partners scammed millions out of investors and Malkin himself. KHL reporter Aveas Kalanes reported that Malkin's signature appeared on some of the documents involved with the scam, with Malkin losing at least $4 million, while others ended up losing over 10. Malkin is one of the co-founders of a project called Markspace, the first, the world's first open platform VR and AR system. Malkin was also was reportedly not involved in day-to-day action of the company and was not told the scam that was being done. It's tough because at this point we don't actually know what Malkin's full involvement was, and uh, I am not a lawyer in any sense, and I'm definitely not a Russian lawyer, so I don't really know what the ramifications of whatever he signed exactly are and if he's a perpetrator of the scam or a victim himself because mm-hmm, i know this was a story that when we were doing last week's episode i can't remember if we were just starting to record or we we read about this after it ha- after the episode ended but this is one of the stories that you and i were talking to each other like whoa like what the heck is going on here because you looked at a lot of the struggles he had last season. And a lot of people could say it was the play on the ice, isolation, all this stuff. And I often kind of wonder whether this big news story coming out could possibly play a part in how he played last year. Well, I mean, I imagine there's homeowners who uh, during a, like a financial crisis or something watch the value of their home drop 
that's got away on you pretty heavily. Now imagine that it's uh, four million, four billion dollars that's just gone. Mm-hmm. That's got away on you a lot too. Like honestly, who the hell knows? Because it's just such a bizarre story. Because it sounds like at one point he invested in what he thought was a clothing company, and then now cryptocurrency and AR is involved. It's a bizarre story that's really hard to kind of get a handle of. So I don't think we can really make too much out of it until more details come out. And honestly, I would not be surprised if details never emerge. Yeah, and like any news story that we talk about here on Top of the Hour, we can always go back to it and update our views. So, Tim, let's switch gears here. Now, we're going to go back and talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs again because former Toronto Maple Leafs captain Doug Gilmer is leaving his position as president of the Ontario Hockey League's Kingston Frontenacs to become a community representative with the Leafs. Gilmore spent the last 11 seasons with the Frontenacs, serving as head coach, general manager, and president of the team. So I was actually talking to one of my buddies the other night about this. He's a Leafs fan, and I said, you know... This is one of the things that I can always appreciate with the Toronto Maple Leafs is that they really roll out their alumni for stuff like this, for being like community representatives or alumni games or anything that they're doing with the community. Well, I, I think part of it is that uh, both the Leafs and the Habs, they really lean into that original six thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do that, your alumni are going to be front and center in your marketing. Well, I mean... Not completely front and center because obviously you have your star players like Carey Price in uh, Montreal or Austin Matthews in uh, Toronto. But if you're going to say, here's our storied history, you got to keep the living history front and center too. And I think they do a really good job of that. Yeah, and I was, you know, it's funny, um, Steve Dangle, who's a very noted hockey YouTuber, I think he just did a recent hockey tournament for the Easter Seals Foundation because his sister um, sorry I, I don't really remember what disease she has he actually talked about in his book and one of the players he got up to come play in that is Matt Sundin yeah and like just that network is gold plated too for that sort of thing yeah yeah exactly I mean I'm really part of me is actually kind of surprised that guys like Matt Sundin have never come out for these alumni games or the alumni events but I think Think if I'm not mistaken, I want to say he lives in Sweden now, so it's kind of hard for him to do that. But actually, it's kind of funny talking about Matt Sundin, and it's funny. Like one of the stories we talked about last year was, of course, of Mia Khalifa, and there was actually a, a picture of her with Matt Sundin where he's hacking a dart. Really? Yeah, and I'm just like, whoa, Matt Sundin hacking a dart with a porn star, eh? All right. Hey. Our, I'm she only so- ever made fourteen thousand dollars, Ted. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Adult <laughs> film star. So, Tim, let's turn our attention to some current NHLers. Winnipeg Jets forward Adam Lurie has been suspended two games for boarding Calgary Flames defenseman Oliver Clinton. Lurie is a repeat offender and will forfeit seventy-one thousand one hundred eighty-three dollars. And can't forget this, Tim. This is so important. I cannot emphasize how important this is. 22 cents in salary. So I actually did get a chance to look at this hit, and as a hockey fan, that's one of those hits that should not be in the game today, and the NHL has tried so hard to take these kinds of hits out of the game, given that Clinton didn't even see him coming. 
yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to see the hit, so I'm going to take your word for it if it's uh, like that blindsided. It's good on the NHL for acting on it. Yeah, so I'll, per I'll try my best to describe it. So basically there was like a, a scrum behind the net along the backboards, and Clinton tried to look like he was getting the puck out, and Laurie came in and hit him from behind into the glass. That's kind of kind of greasy. It's pretty greasy, but I mean, not as greasy as what Milan Lucic did the other night, which we'll be talking about on next week's episode. Oh, yeah. Detroit Red Wings have acquired forward Brendan Perlay from the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for the rights to defenseman Alec Regula. Perlini recorded 12 goals, 3 assists, or 15 points in 46 games for Chicago last season after being acquired from the Arizona Coyotes. And you know what's actually kind of funny? When I was reading this story, my first thought was, hey, wait a minute. Tim and I talked about that Perlini's trade last year because I think that was the one where Anthony Duclair got sent to the Coyotes. Or, or was it the other way around? No, that was uh, Dylan Strump. Dylan Strump, thank you. I was thinking it was one of those guys and for the Coyotes that didn't pan out, but... Yeah, it's funny, man. It's weird to see that, you know, it hasn't even been a full NHL season and the Blackhawks are already trading him away to one of their big-time rivals. Yeah. Well, the other thing, though, is it's Perlini was the tack-on. Perlini was looking all right. It looks like he may not be panning out. So, originally, I wasn't too sure on the Schmaltz trade. Uh, maybe it's looking a bit better for Arizona. Especially with the way that Schmaltz has been playing this season. So, uh, we'll see, but, uh, yeah, interesting trade for sure. Do we know more about, uh, Regula, or has he not played many games? Uh, for what I, from what I understand, he hasn't played any games. I'm not exactly sure where he is. He might be in college right now, but as far as I know, he hasn't been signed. It's just his NHL rights are going to the Blackhawks. Oh, okay. So they may very well expire worthless. Yeah, pretty much. New Jersey Devils have acquired goalie Louis Domingue from the Tampa Bay Lightning for a conditional 2021 seventh round pick. Domingue recorded a 21-5 record with a 908 save percentage with Tampa Bay last season. I honestly feel this is going to be one of those minor league deals, but given how poorly New Jersey has been playing this season, there could be a chance that he might be getting a shot with the Devils. Uh, this is definitely to rattle the cage in for the New Jersey goaltending, because both Blackwood and Schneider have been awful this season. And I think that's the big thing that's kind of held the, the Devils back this season. The offense is fine. Defense hasn't been great, but hasn't been awful. Goaltending has been a sieve. Yeah, for what I understand, defense hasn't been all that great, because I just read the other day uh, Nikita Gutsev, the kid they picked up from the Vegas Golden Knights, was scratched, even though he's like, what, their top point scorer right now? Yeah, something like that. Well, I think they're just trying things at this point. But uh, honestly, their shots allowed at 5-on-5 five five so far hasn't been the worst. The offense has had some issues getting go going it, and the goaltending's just, it's been horrendous, frankly. Yeah, and that was one of the things with the Devils coming to this season is that, for me, goaltending was their big issue because I didn't know how healthy Corey Schneider is. And I had a lot of questions regarding their backup situation with Scott Blackwood. But the fact that the Ray Shiro has been able to go out and get a young goaltender like this, who can possibly maybe turn things around in New Jersey, given that he had a really, had a really, really good year last year. But honestly, his record from last year 
could have been padded or fluctuated with the fact that he played on the 6-2 win, Tampa Bay Lightning. That's for sure. And Louis Domingue didn't exactly have the greatest go of it in, uh, I believe it was Arizona. Yeah, Louis Domingue, let's bring him up. Yeah, his uh, save percentage in Arizona was quite weak. Uh, we're looking at around 900. Yeah, but I mean, in fairness, he was playing on a very, very bad Coyotes team when he was there. Oh, for sure. And uh, honestly, his even strength numbers with Arizona weren't that bad. They're around .922, which is all you can really ask for. So, Tim, given that we don't have any Ottawa Senators stories to talk about, I guess the next best thing is to talk about a couple of signings with the Nashville Predators. Let's start off with the Nashville Predators have re-signed Roman Yossi to an eight-year, $72.8 million contract with an AAV 9.1. Yossi recorded 14 goals, 41 assists, for 56 points in 82 games for Nashville last season. Now, this is one of these signings, and going back to the Devils, is that the New Jersey Devils made that trade for P.K. Subban back in June, and that was really to bolster the defense. But it also helped both teams because the Devils themselves got a power play quarterback, and the Nashville Predators actually opened up cap space, which they ended up using to pick up not only Roman Yossi, but it went and got Matt Duchesne as well. The Roman Yossi signing, I really, really like it. I think that if he can continue his production for the next several seasons... This is going to be a really good contract, but at his age and with how he plays, I'm honestly a little bit skeptical about the contract, but honestly, I think for at the moment, it could actually be a very good signing for the Predators. Well, the nice thing about Yossi is he, do he doesn't have a long injury history, but this contract is going to take him to 20, take him to 37. And the hard thing is, is like the very high risk, high reward defenseman where he's very good at putting pressure in the offensive zone, but he's going to give the opponents some good shots while he's on the ice as well. It's kind of the Eric Carlson situation. The high risk is worth the high reward. Yeah, or you can even make the argument uh, against the former National Predator captain, Shea Weber. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how gracefully Yossi ages, but I don't see anything too bad. Yeah, that's true, because not everybody is going to age like Nicholas Lidstrom, where at 42, 43 years old, he's still one of the top defensemen in the NHL. Or even freak, freaking Chris Chelios, who got to 48. That's true, but yeah, a lot of defensemen nowadays don't really age that well. But, you know what, hey, if Roman Yossi can sustain his career until he's, what, 35, 36, 37 at the end of this contract, this could be a very, very good signing for the National Predators. Mm -hmm. I wonder... Just uh, the speed that the modern NHL goes at and the fact that defensemen are logging like 20 minutes a game at a very high intensity is just what wears on defensemen. That's true, but you also got to look at the team, that they, the teams they build around them too, right? I mean, you know, you look at the Ottawa Senators now. Like if, if they had kept Eric Carlson playing 28, 29, 30 minutes every night with the very very young core that we have in front of him. Like, how long do you think he would have lasted if we gave him that new contract? Well, I mean, it's still early going for San Jose, but uh, we might have an answer for that. That's true. But you know what? At the end of the day, Tim, we still got their first pick. Yep. And we got many wonderful years with Eric Carlson. That's true. We got the good years so far. <laughs> 
So, Tim, let's close out this top of the hour segment by talking about another Nashville Predators signing. Now, this player is actually very fascinating because this is a guy that over the last couple of seasons, you and I have talked at length with all of his off-season issues, and it's really good to know that we actually finally get to talk about a good story with him. Nashville Predators have re-signed Austin Watson to a three-year, $4.5 million contract with an AAV 1.5. Watson recorded seven goals, nine assists for 16 points in 37 games for Nashville last season. Yeah, it's good to see he's back on the horse. Absolutely, and the fact that the Nashville Predators have enough faith in him to give him a three-year contract is pretty good because this was a guy... And you and, and you and I obviously remember, like over the last couple of seasons, we've talked about all of his off-season issues, and it really didn't look like his career was going to last very long. And maybe this three-year contract is the Nashville Predators showing much confidence in him that he can stay clean and afloat. Yeah. Well, here's good luck to him. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can only mean one thing. It's time to move on to talk about the games. Now, we got two games to talk about. We've got Eric Carlson and the San Jose Sharks versus the Ottawa Senators and the Sens versus the Bruins. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sharks versus the Senators. This is a 5-2 Senators victory. Sharks goals are scored by Evander Kane and Kevin LeBlanc. Sens goals are scored by Nick Paul with two, Connor Brown, the real American, Brady Duchak, and Anthony DeClaire. Shots were 36-30 for San Jose. An exciting and hard-hitting game overall. Both teams played the body and with energy for a majority of this game, with both teams getting a number of scoring chances. However, Ottawa came out of this game with the W. So we got to talk about the big line in this game. Connor Brown, Jean-Gabriel Paggio, and Nick Paul. Wow, these guys played a great game. Got a number of chances with three goals coming from this line. Two of them came from Nick Paul and the other from Connor Brown. Yeah, and this was a line that was, I believe, assembled for this game. And it played. You could tell that this is a line that was clicking all night. Uh, and I think this might have been Nick Paul's best game in the NHL by far. For sure. I know even on last week's episode, like we were praising Nick Paul's performance and we even teased the Nick Paul game for this one right at the very beginning of the episode. And Nick Paul's a guy that I was very impressed with in this game, given that much like Logan Brown, Nick Paul was always a guy that I think a lot of people on Sense Twitter were like, okay, like if he doesn't make it this year, we might just have to cut him loose or trade him, especially coming to this year. Like Logan Brown, people were saying on Twitter, well, maybe why don't we just get rid of him? Like, He's not really producing. He's not, his game's not clicking. And then, like, Logan Brown had instant chemistry with Duclair and Dechuck. Same with Nick Paul. Like, with Connor Brown and Pajot, I thought he played very, very well with that. Well, like, the proof is in the pudding. The Paul, Pajot, and Brown were on for four goals, four, none against. And uh, whenever they were on the ice, things were going right for the Senators against the top lines of, like, they played the hardest competition and they really really, really stuck it to him. Like, Nick Paul was all over the ice. He was winning all the puck battles, and you could definitely see it on his second goal. Another guy who was really sticking it to the Sharks in this game was Brady Tkachuk. With one goal, two assists, I thought he played a really good game, and it was good to finally see him get over being snake bit because this is one of these guys that 
I had high hopes for coming to the season. I wasn't expecting a 40-goal season, but I was expecting, you know, maybe a 30-goal season, and it sounded like all signs were pointing in the positive. And especially those early season struggles he was having where, yeah, he scored a goal or two every now and then, but it's like, okay, what's going on? I know you, we talked about it last week that he wasn't in his office. He wasn't throwing his weight around. This was a totally different game because yeah. – and uh, the next guy we're talking about was Anthony Duclair. And this is actually very fascinating, putting Duchuk and Duclair right next to each other on my notes because the one moment for me that really stands out in this game is Anthony Duclair had the puck. He came over the red line over to the offensive blue line, and Brendan Dillon stood him up. Right at the blue line, it was not a dirty hit. It was not a cheap shot. And next thing you know, behind the play, all you see is to chuck, take a run at Eric Carlson behind the net. Sending like, hey, you're going to hit one of my guys? We're going after yours. Yeah, and it was an interesting moment because I don't... You saw a lot of people talking about it afterwards. And it wasn't just Ottawa fans or San Jose fans. You had Leafs fans like, oh, why don't we have anyone doing stuff like that on our team? And it's an interesting question because I'm not really sure... Like, it's definitely a watch-what-you're-doing-out-there hit. Where do you think that fits in hockey? That's an interesting thing. That's actually a good point you brought up the least because I know even in last week's episode, uh, before we hit record, we were talking about this. And I said, you know, like, the the whole thing with the Duclair getting hit and then Jachuk taking a run at Carlson, it was very similar to the Habs-Leafs game the night prior where one of the Hab players took a run at Austin Matthews and not one of the Leafs players went after the Hab. And when I saw this hit, and I know I've talked about this almost to death in the last five or so episodes we've done so far this season, is that the Sens are playing like a team. And that's the one thing I've noticed. And you definitely saw that with that hit on Matthews, the Leafs aren't really playing like a team. And I feel personally that's showing in their wins-loss record right now. Now, obviously, you can look at our record and go, okay, well, we're, what, three... <laughs> eight and one right now obviously well what are you guys doing you guys are playing like a team and you're losing yeah but you know what we have no expectations on us our expectations is finish dead last get the first pick or you know possibly the second or third pick too but that's not the point the point is is that that's a very very different mindset that guys like dj smith is bringing with this team and the fact that brady to chuck i mean if Chuck played for any other team and he took a run at Eric Carlson, I would have been furious on Twitter. But the thing is, is that, and I think the reason why he probably took a run at him, not so much because he was trying to stand up for a teammate, but he also, there's a part of me that feels because Carlson and Chuck were not teammates, that could be why that he feels like, okay, you know what? I'm going after you now. Although it's kind of interesting is there's not very many people left on this Ottawa team that were teammates with Eric Carlson. No, but there was definitely a few uh, I think of them. It's just Bobby Ryan, Borbietsky, and Pajot at this point. No, and uh, Anderson and Shabbat. And Anderson and Shabbat. Yeah, but that's five guys out of 20. Well, no, Colin White. Hardly. Yeah, he's hardly, but that's the thing, though, is that, yeah. <laughs> is that, you know, right? You didn't see anybody else going after Eric, and Eric had a brutal game. He was minus five. All the goals went against him. And you know what I feel about Eric Carlson, and that just. Partly, I'm happy we won, but it's just broke my heart to see Eric Carlson go minus five against the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because uh, I really felt that uh, Thomas Shabbat got the better of him the whole night. And that's a sentence you're not going to hear very often, or we might hear more often as time goes on, because I just felt just things weren't working for Eric Carlson. Yeah, well, but you know, you can also factor in the fact, is he still 
not at 100%, right? Because you can rehab and you can rest all you want, but, you know, you come back from the injuries he had, especially in the when he was with the Sens, it's like, man, are you sure you're ever going to be 100% after that? I want him to be. I know. I want him to be 100% too because that's the one thing that I – it really upsets me is that people are watching him with the Sharks right now, not at 100%, and they saw the big contract that was given to him. And the fact is that an American audience, I don't know if they'll ever see a fully healthy Eric Carlson at full strength. Yeah, which is a real shame because it really is one of the best defenders we've seen since probably even Lindstrom. Just that very powerful skater very intelligent player and it's a shame that that's how it's gonna go so tim let's move our attention over to anthony duclair the player that we were just talking about a few minutes ago one goal and four shots oh god that move he made oh that was so good that was one of those moves and it's really great to see that duclair is finally finding his stride this season and that was the one thing at the beginning of this year that you would watch duclair and you're like Okay, he looks like he's just trying too hard out there and things aren't going for him. Plays like this is why I'm very, very happy with Anthony Duclair as an Ottawa Senator because you see this guy, he's very, very easy. Like, he's a bigger guy. He's not a small guy at all. But you see him with the puck and how he moves and his positioning. And even in the next game against the Bruins that we're going to talk about, the one thing I noticed, even on the power play, is that I really like the Chuck Ennis Duclair line on the power play because you saw all three of them moving around and Duclair kind of like you saw with Danny Heatley where you saw him getting in perfect positions to get a one-timer off. Yeah, I think the other thing though is unlike Danny Heatley, I think Anthony Duclair is incredibly mobile. Yeah. Like Danny, Danny Heatley, he had an office kind of like Ovechkin but a lot easier to shut down. Yeah, because Heatley... No no offense to Dan Healy at all, but Healy was never known as being the greatest skater in the world. And when you see other players like that who could just skate around him like nothing, and that's the one thing, going back to Duclair, as you said, he's very mobile. He's a guy who can move. And the fact he's found, I, find, I think he finally found his confidence in the NHL that he has not shown at all in his career. I think that's one of the things that's really helping this year is I think DJ Smith has managed to get this team to play with the like they know they're not the greatest team in the world. And like they're going out and getting slapped at most nights, but they're able to still put out a good effort. Yeah, but and, I also sorry Tim, but I also feel that the the really good thing about DJ Smith, and we haven't actually talked about him at all this season, is that there's been a very different sort of mindset and a different kind of attitude with DJ Smith because you're seeing kind of, a, I don't know how to describe it. You're definitely seeing more like the Dave Cameron era sends where it was always a run and gun defense took a back seat, but DJ Smith is making players accountable. And you saw that with Bobby Ryan being scratched. You see that with Bodker being scratched. You see that with, and uh, we'll talk about the next game with Eric Brandstrom, but you're seeing that is that, he's not afraid to change things around, especially in the first four or five games of the season where that was the big hype coming into this year was like, okay, we're going to play all the young guns. All these young guys are going to be up here within five games. All but two of them were back in the minors. And DJ Smith's like, you know what? I have no confidence in this whole hype of, well, let's play all the young guys this season. Yeah. And the hard thing though, is just 
there isn't a lot of space for all of them on the minor leagues either. But uh, honestly, if it works, it works. And the the thing I'm very happy about with uh, DJ Smith is that he is willing to he's scratching veterans too, and that's all I can really ask for is uh, be consistent. Yeah, and that was the one thing that I, I don't think we could ever say about guys like Guy Boucher and these former coaches we have is that they have a way of coaching and they're stuck with them. Like you looked at last season, you know, the 11-7, the 1-3-1 system. You look at all these things that Boucher implemented, a lot of them ended up backfiring so terribly in the end that fans were literally calling for him being fired, which they ended up getting in March. Yeah, and... I wouldn't be surprised if it eventually happened to DJ Smith as well. But, uh, like, it just seems to happen to most coaches in the NHL. But I'm glad that at least uh, accountability seems to be evenly distributed. Yeah, but the thing about... The difference between DJ Smith with this sense team that what Boucher and Cameron and Cluson and those guys all have with the former teams is that a lot of them were not young guns. A lot of them were the vets like the Mike Fishers, the Alfredsons... The Phillips, you had these guys on the team who've been there for so many years, and it's at the point of like, yeah, we're on this team for long term. You're pretty much expendable. Where you have DJ Smith, like, really, I mean, the only the vets have been there is what your Bobby Ryan's, your Craig Anderson's, who haven't even really been here ten years. Yeah, well, Bobby Ryan's your only guy signed out past two weeks. Well, beginning of the season anyway, but. Yeah so, Actually, yeah. yeah, so that's the thing, man. If DJ Smith can implement a way of coaching that the players fully buy into, because they're still young, I think that we could have a pretty solid head coach for the next several years. Yeah, it all remains to be seen. Yeah. And it does come back to a statement from Morgan Riley that DJ Smith was someone who he felt very comfortable learning from and he felt allowed him to grow. And if that's true and if accountability is something that's going to be evenly distributed, I think DJ Smith is going to be a very good development coach and maybe even get a lot out of a team once it's able to compete. So I only got one more note about this game, and we were talking about him just a second ago. Craig Anderson, 34 saves, a .944 save percentage. Had a pretty good mixture of shots he faced from high danger to outside the slot. Yeah, and I think there was only really one or two five-alarm bell saves he had to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially that Evander Kane won by the side of the net. But, yeah, no, it's uh, a good bounce-back game for Craig Anderson. So, Tim, I don't have any more notes to make if you want to head on to the second and final game of the evening. This is going to be an interesting game to talk about, that's for sure. Sens versus Bruins. This is a 5-2 Bruins victory. Sens goes scored by Anthony DeClaire and Connor Brown. Bruins goes scored by David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, Danton Heinen, Brad Marchand, and Jake DeBrusque. Shots for 32-31 for Ottawa. A somewhat even game overall. Boston started the game off fast, creating scoring chances and playing physical. Ottawa was sluggish to start, but got their game going with an exciting second period. However, couldn't sustain it as the Bruins took over in the third period to get the W. Now, before we go talking about any other player or anything we've got to talk about, there's one major thing that happened in this game, and I feel this is the only appropriate way to start off talking about this game, and that, of course, was the Scott Stafford injury. Now, how this hit came about is 
Sabrin came in from the side. He came in to hit David Backus, and he hit him helmet to helmet, and Sabrin hit the ice hard. And the one hit that I often think about when I saw that was, I don't know if you ever saw the clip of Kevin Stevens when he played for the Penguins in the 93 playoffs. Kind of similar to this one. Like, he came into the corner to hit Rich Pylon of the New York Islanders and hit him head on, like hit him helmet to helmet, and he dropped just the exact same way that Scott Sabrin did. And I got to say, you know, and I know Boston sports fans often get shit on by a lot of people for being disrespectful and bought hurt and knee jerk and all the shit that they get thrown at them. But this is one of those moments that you have to give a lot of respect because for all the shit the Boston sports fans get for being disrespectful, I find that the respect factor is actually kind of there. Uh, about 15 years ago, when the Montreal Canadian fans were booing the American National Anthem because of the war on Iraq, the next time that the Habs came to Boston, the Bruin fans gave the Canadian Anthem a standing ovation. And this was another moment where the Boston crowd went dead silent as Sabre laid on the ice and they gave him a standing ovation when they finally got him on the stretcher. Yeah, and I, I remember watching this live and it was it was chilling. And the it, what was interesting is this week, if you were watching the national CBC feed, you had no idea what happened until after he was off the ice because they refused to show a replay, and that just made it even harder to deal with. And you, you could. The other interesting one is that David Backus was absolutely mortified. Like you could just look at his eye. Like there was, I don't think uh, it was like a mix of oh shit and almost like a a guilt, even though he had. There was nothing he could have done about that. And uh, Bacchus himself was injured on the play as well. Obviously not to the degree of Scott Sabrin, but he's probably going to have a concussion too. Yeah, and that was the funny thing about that is like when I saw the hit, it didn't look like Bacchus got hurt at all. But I know that players on from both teams were trying to console him. But like, hey, listen, like this is not your fault. And, you know, it's just a freak thing. And you saw him on the bench. And I don't know who it was. I think it was... Uh, Tory Kruger, one of the defensemen, you patted him on the head, be like, hey, don't worry about it. And Bacchus sat there for a couple of seconds before getting off and walking off the bench. And I thought that was kind of why. I thought because he was, it bothered him that much. He says, you know what, I, I can't continue this. Like, this is too much for me. Yeah, and it's, but it also makes sense that he might have been fighting a concussion too. But, uh, like, when you see a guy go down and bleed that much, it's chilling. Yeah. And uh, I think the Sen staff were fantastic. The the medical practitioners at TD Garden were amazing. And good on both the Ottawa Senators, the Boston Bruins, for just being there to tap them and uh, relay the thumbs up uh, when they finally, when Sabrin finally came to and they could get him off the ice. Yeah, I thought that was a very, very classy thing to do is that both teams got off the bench and they were standing next to him, tapping their sticks in the ice, making sure he was okay. And the one really nice thing about that is that when they showed the replay, him on the stretcher, you saw him give the thumbs up to the crowd. Yeah. No, that was awesome. And uh, then later, this, there's a photo of him in uh, a Boston area hospital, which itself is an awesome sign that they're able to get him out of TD Garden that night. And they're able to get him to Ottawa the day after. And there he is, giving a thumbs up, uh, can't quite open the eye yet, but that'll come. Yeah, and that was the one really good thing is that I saw that on his Instagram stories is that he had the selfie with him with the black guy, just letting everybody know he was okay. You know, you hate to see that stuff, right? And going back to Kevin Stevens, 
the exact same thing. Like when you see him laying on the ice and he's bleeding profusely from his helmet, you're thinking, "Oh shit! Like what? What happened? Like is he, are you going to be okay? Like like it's a pretty gruesome sight." And even after the episode, like go find that clip. Like it is just. It, it's hard to watch, man. When I go with, even talking about it right now, like it's a hard, hard clip to actually sit down yeah. and watch. Well, the thing was, is you didn't see the hit happen on the CBC feed either because uh, the play was down the ice. And you're just like, oh shit. And then you it cut to Bacchus and there was an oh shit look on his face. And you cut to Sabrin and there's blood on the ice and there's blood on the jersey. And you're like, oh, and he's not really moving. Yeah. And this whole ordeal, it, it took, this was 15 minutes of, is he okay? And uh, it's just a reminder that even without dirty hits, hockey is a dangerous game. Yeah. And closing out this comment is that I do want to comment about one thing. And this is a, somebody who I've grew up watching for so many years. I have respect for his views on Canadian hockey and everything. Oh, I lost a bit of respect for Don Cherry with his comments on it because, you know, he just says, oh, it's just one of those hits. And you see Ron McClain trying to be serious, talking about, you know, he was moving his extremities. And you see Grapes kind of chuckling at his, sorry, his what? And I saw that and I'm like, whoa, really? Don, like, here's a guy who played in the minors like yourself. He gets seriously injured and you're seriously laughing right now? Yeah. He's definitely beyond his best before date i know but that's the thing you even look at ron mclean and he was dead serious too he's like yeah his extremities like his legs like you so when you saw those move you know he was going to be okay yeah and it's it's hard because it's like as much as i've been kind of down on scott sauber and it's super cool that he's been able to live out his dream playing with his local team and from the sounds of things, he was, in very short order, became a very beloved part of that dressing room. Yeah, because you saw a guy who would have done anything for this team, much like, you know, uh, an Anton Volchenkov or a Chris Neal or somebody, somebody or like Mark that. Or Or Borvieski. And I know that I've been kind of mixed on Savern. I think he's been a solid enough player for us. And I know that my comments about the Ryan Reeves fight was probably what gained a lot of respect for myself because I was thinking, you know what? You got balls, man. If you're willing to go against Ryan Reeves, who's the toughest guy in the NHL right now, like, gotta give him credit. Like, that's that's serious right there. Yeah, and it's his guy, he's giving it his all on the shift, even if sometimes he's playing less than 10 minutes a game. And, yeah, if he's loved in the room, I don't see why not. And I uh, just hope Scott has a, as speedy a recovery as possible. But uh, that's got a hoy. <laughs> I know. I, and I bet you anything that the first game back, he if it's in Ottawa, he probably gets a standing ovation from the crowd making sure he's okay. Honestly, I wouldn't, given how high profile of an event this is around the NHL, and especially with the Don Cherry comments, I would be surprised if he gets that standing ovation in any other rink, too. Yeah. Even Montreal. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm actually kind of tearing up right now talking about Scott Sabrin. So let's change the stuff. Let's, let's switch um, gears here and change the mood a bit. Let's talk about Craig Anderson. 27 saves, a .844 save percentage. 
I will give him this. The first goal was a bad goal, but overall, I don't know about you. I can't really blame Craig for this one because his defense was nowhere to be found on at least three of those goals. Yeah, and it was... Like, dude, you leave three Bruins wide open for a one-timer. Like, what the hell are you guys expecting at that point? Yeah. Like, honestly, Shabbat's 8th, 7th DeMello didn't really have it. Well, I don't know. It's hard. Like, I felt Shabbat on the offensive side was on point. Defense, defense left something to be desired tonight. Yeah, and that's something that I've been very on Shabbat about all year is that I don't know. He just seems like one of these guys that offensively you see he has it, but defensively you're, you, there's a lot of questions there. And especially, I believe it was the what was it, the Dayton Hyden goal where Shabbat got caught going back, and he basically got stripped of the puck, and Demello didn't even really try to stop him on the left side. Yeah, but at the same time, it is again. It's we're talking about a young guy. And Eric Carlson was like this in his younger years as well. This this is the trials and tribulations of a young, strong offensive D-man. And I think he's, he looks like he's going to figure it out because there's nights where he's fantastic, even in his own zone. And there's nights where it's definitely a work in progress. So this One is thing the... I was very <laughs> impressed with Thomas Shabbat was how well he managed that extended Senators power play. Like, sure, they didn't get anything out of it, but that's because Tory Krug played his brain out. Ottawa got seven or eight grade-A highlight real chances, and Tory Krug was the only thing that kept Boston in that game, at least in that frame anyway. Yeah, that was the one thing, and uh, with Ottawa on the power play, and I mentioned this in the Sharks game, is that I really liked the Tuchuk and S and Anthony Duclair power play line because this is very different. And the one thing that we criticized the Sens about last season on the power play is that they just stood around and waited for the one-timer or waited for somebody to open. You saw all three of them moving around and you saw Duclair getting ready for a one-timer. You saw Ennis in front. You saw Shabbat, not Shabbat, Tuchuk on the other side. It's just like, okay, how come, this, how come they can't do this all the time on the power play? And it's been really a shame that our power play has been so awful this year because when you watch them on the power play, the one thing I've noticed is that they play a lot like this and they're trying to get that goal. It's not like they're like, okay, yeah, we got two minutes or I guess we only have one player up, so whatever. And I do have a number of players I do want to talk about. Of course, Anthony Duclair really liked how he played. Connor Brown, I really did. Uh, obviously, to Chuck and Ennis. But the what one about Logan Brown. Uh, Logan Brown didn't play too bad, and well, he was I, injured very early. I was going to say, what exactly happened to him in that game? I didn't really see how he got hurt in that game. Yeah, he, it was a hit. He felt weird after a hit, basically. But that pass from Logan Brown on the Duclair goal was a beauty, like just beautiful tic tac toeing. And if that's what Logan Brown is capable of. More of that, please. For sure. Uh, one player, I actually don't have in my notes, but I do want to mention, Philip Shalopic. I think he also got hurt. He took a shot off the hand from the Bruins defenseman as well. Yeah, he only ended up playing about 10 minutes of hockey. Yeah, because it was just one of his one one of his first games back from upstate. Yeah. 
So, like, the Sens lost three players, so, like, I'm honestly not surprised the Sens couldn't really sustain through the third because they were playing severely undermanned. So there is one final player I do want to talk about, and I was talking about him before we hit record for this segment, Eric Branstrom. Now, Eric Branstrom has been one of these guys that, again, much like Drake Batherson, there was so much hype around Eric Branstrom making this team, and I thought, well, you know, he might be pretty good. We saw what he could do last year. He has not lived up to any expectation that the fans had for him, and... The, and especially in this game, where he looked invisible in this game. He looked just so overpowered by the, by the Boston Bruins. And the one thing that I noticed, especially for tonight's game versus the Rangers, is that DJ Smith finally said, okay, you know what, enough's enough. You're a healthy scratch tonight. And I often wonder, because of the drama going on with Bobby Ryan being in Smitty's doghouse, I'm trademarking that right now, <laughs> is that there's been rumors about Bobby Ryan possibly being traded. And I often wonder... With how Eric Brassrum's being is playing for so far for the Sens, I honestly wonder if one of the conditions for Bobby Ryan going to a team is that they need a left shot defenseman coming back for that second pairing. Are you suggesting that the Sens are going to bail on Brassrum already? Because I'm going to say that's freaking ridiculous. I don't like Brassrum is another young guy, and I don't think they move on him so quick. I'm not because sa- he honestly played. He's been playing pretty well for a first year pro. I'm look. I'm not saying the Sens bail on him, but he's. I don't think he's ready to be a second pairing defenseman. I think they need to play him more in a sheltered third pairing role. If they can get a guy to play that second pairing left shot, you give Branstrom some breathing room in the third pairing. I think could be pretty decent for his development because I. That's the thing because as a fan, I don't want to see Branstrom becoming another. Brian Lee or Cody Cece or Jerry Cowan defenseman that we have had all these expectations on him and none of them have that's the thing I don't want this guy to be so underdeveloped where he has no value in the end of this no I just I don't think that happens I think those players just had their skill levels misinterpreted Cowan never had hockey IQ Brian Lee didn't have it Cody Cece sucks and uh, no amount of Morgan Riley is fixing that but and I think with Branstrom, it's going to be time, and he's, he's not getting thrown to the Wolves. And you can move Borbietsky and DeMello up and Branstrom and Hainsey down. The one thing I could think that could help Branstrom more than anything is a better right partner than Hainsey. That could help too, but honestly, I watch him and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I For me, something's not clicking here. Like too high. I think he's been playing pretty darn well, honestly. The points are coming at about the rate you would expect for someone that young on a team that's not very good. 12 games, one assist, and uh, the advanced stats are actually pretty flattering for him. Yeah, I think and he's I, doing fine. And the on-press boxing is going to be, an, I think, an important part of uh, growth here. It's a bit silly to get down on him. It's not like he's playing on the best team in the world. It's going to take time, and honestly, I'll... I like what he does. I like the motion. I like the mobility. It's just time to get, you'll get used to the NHL time. Yeah, look, I'm not saying the Sens bail on him, but I'm still thinking that they need to maybe put him on the third pairing and put less of a workload on him so early on. Like, I can understand if he was, say, a second or third year defenseman where he has some experience in the NHL, you put him on the second pairing and let him play, but he's a rookie. And 
I don't personally feel putting him on the second pairing is helping him. Because, honestly, you're putting so much pressure on him. You're putting all these minutes on him. And, yeah, he's not going up against the top lines, but you're going up against second lines in the NHL, which can be pretty deadly when you're playing a team like Colorado where you're playing these teams where they're so loaded up front. And now it's like, okay, you're like a, what, 19, 20-year-old defenseman? Try and stop those guys. Well, to be fair, you're just going to get line-matched anyway when you're playing in the opponent's barn. It doesn't really matter. I don't know. I'm still standing by my belief, but you know what? If he can, if this benching could maybe spark a fire under him and get his game going, then power to him. I don't know. I don't think there's, I don't think he's been playing. Like, he had a bad game. Oh, well, that's going to happen to a young player. Yeah, but there's been a number of games I've seen him, and it's just, he looks invisible. So far, has been salt. I think it's been. Good enough, and honestly, pretty darn decent. And out of a rookie, that's all I can really ha- hope for. Like, I think he's been playing above my expectations. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make about this game if you just want to head on to the close for another evening. Yeah. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M9HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E-Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our previous 100th episodes, Top of the hour, any of the games, or any of the comments that we've made on this episode, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsunscast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we're heading November down, and we've got a fully loaded November, and next week's episode is going to be the first of many four-game weeks. So, like I said, we've got four games on the schedule. We've got tonight's game versus the New York Rangers. Tuesday night, we are playing the New York Islanders in New York. Thursday, we're at home to play the Los Angeles Kings. And Saturday, we are back at home to play, I don't don't know, probably a team full of a bunch of jerks, the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, Yeah, it almost feels like uh, you had two buys in October, hey? It has, but the fact is that, you know what, we're already past the first month of the 2019-2020 season, and so far, we're getting it rolling on the podcast, Tim. Yeah, yeah. So before we go, Tim, can we? Uh, do you mind giving us a quick update on the Rangers Sens game score wise? Uh, looks like it's five two Senators. Five two Sens? Uh, wait, wait, nope. Uh, yep, five two Sens. Until next week, guys. I am your host Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo!